welcome to another Thursday episode of the 905er podcast and the 905 roundup. Uh, my name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And this week we're welcoming a, a third guest to our, uh, uh, to our roundup uh, table, uh, Alan Kahn, uh, who is a, a political activist and longtime resident of Mississauga, uh, who uh, writes a, uh, a, news, a newsletter called Muni Poly Matters. Uh, we'll include the link for everybody in our show notes um, and uh, is very familiar and, and knowledgeable about uh, about Peel and Mississauga in particular. Uh, so we thought we'd uh, w- welcome Alan on this week to because um, there's quite a bit of news happening in Mississauga uh, and Peel at the moment. Um, so I mean, uh, Alan, obviously the the big story uh, which we we've addressed a bit, but we're kind of aware that we're, we're not as knowledgeable about the kind of background for everything. Um, is the the story in Mississauga with this 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 vandalism of, of a councillor's car? Um, what what's what's been your take on this this whole story and 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 what it kind of says about Mississauga Council? Hi, uh, Roland Joel. Thank you. First of all, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I'm a long time listener, first time participant. I guess <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I guess that's how I uh, should uh, acknowledge that. I guess. In terms of this topic, this issue, uh, you've covered it a bit briefly on, on your podcast, on your pod, I think uh, last week or so. But uh, I won't uh, regale the details. But uh, if it, maybe I can add a few things in later. My take on it is is very interesting. Um, for the longest time, dating back to the days of Hazel McCallion, there was this idea that Mississauga City Council worked very collegially. It was always like you know we speak with one voice. Right, uh, council meetings always went by very quickly because there was a lot of unanimous decision. And current mayor Bonnie Crombie will she's been repeating it in the media, um, even uh, as this latest uh, controversy unfolded, saying, "By and large, our council works very well together, and uh, everybody you know gets along." Quote unquote. Well, obviously, there was an issue that ended up causing such a rift or. It caused something to happen that this counselor by the name of Ron Starr, who represents Ward 6 in Mississauga, went on to vis- um, vandalize another counselor's car. And it, it, it kind of gives a, a pause to the idea that this council works so well together all the time. Because what now people are wondering, why exactly did he do this? Something must have happened that led to this man allegedly doing this whether it was a political issue on council whether it was something personal that that needs to be addressed and so far because of all a lot of uh, layers of legal and privacy issues all these discussions have been taking place behind in-camera private meetings so the public is not aware of the reasoning behind this now as far as we know now um Based on uh, current developments, the Integrity Commissioner, Robert Swayze, has uh, said he will now launch an investigation immediately as of uh, a week ago from this recording of the pod, and that um, he will now do an investigation on his own. Uh, he, I think he said, I think uh, the position was previously the integrity commissioner could not take a position or, or do an investigation because it was a police matter at that point. But now it seems that the police are not going to to continue an investigation further. So now the uh, IC has said he's going to do an investigation. 
Councillor Starr himself, after attending Peel Regional Council apparently last week, a day after he was asked to go on a leave of absence, has now said he will step back from all city and regional meetings to respect the process, as he said, uh, while this investigation uh, unfolds. And that's approximately where it's been left at. But just going back to my point, it just raises this question of has, you know, this council for decades, no matter who sat on it, I mean, some of these people have been around since the last century, and um, they said they all work very well together. Well, something like this has happened now. And And, and the question comes to my mind. I mean, um, uh, the councillor who stood down, um, who's uh, Karen... Karen Rass. Karen Raz, yeah. Now, she was a newer face. Um, My understanding is she was also someone who was maybe uh, more willing to ask some questions in in council meetings. Is that a fair kind of reflection of of, um, of her kind of persona on council? And and stuff like that, she's maybe something of a new... something of a new look to some of the other council of members, you know, that this is not what they've been used to in the past. Would that be a fair description? That would be a fair description. Uh, from what I know about um, former councillor Raz, uh, she was elected in 2014 um, when the previous councillor stepped down after about 20, 30 years on, on council. So she was a, definitely a fresh face. Uh, she got elected with about 28% of the vote, which is a very three-way, four-way split considering the result back then, there were other two other, I guess, very credible challengers that she managed to squeak past them. And then in 2018, she uh, re- was re-elected with 93% of the vote after um, a period that I remember observing where it was like she was running unopposed. And I thought at one point she, she would get acclaimed because there was no one uh, registering to run against her until the last second when two uh, random people showed up. So... <laughs> My understanding of the way she approached council meetings was she's always asking very poignant and um, good questions, such as, like, she would be the only voice asking whether, do we really need this level of middle management uh, in, in, in this department here? Or do we really need to spend money on this program here? Maybe we could forego that or delay that for a bit and then just try to balance our books for a bit. Like, I mean... Technically, cities are required by law to balance their budgets every year. But she was still asking questions about fiscal responsibility. She has a a conservative, uh, I think, political background. Her husband, Michael Raz, was actually just recently the federal conservative candidate in Mississauga Lakeshore, running under uh, Aaron O'Toole's leadership. But uh, he was not elected. Um, The liberals uh, managed to hold on to that seat. But nonetheless, Mm -hmm. that just gives you an indication of where her political leanings would be. Yeah, I think that is a good point. That she was probably one of the few that I observed that would like regularly ask um, sensible questions. It's not like she was going out of a way to be an opposition voice for the sake of just being an opposition. Right. Like she was trying to at least ask some sensible questions before just rubber stamping or you know just going along with the crowd. Doing what a councillor should do, by the sound of it, which is you know have an inquiring mind, but maybe Sorry, maybe that I, I just, I just against wanna, recent history. I don't know. I, I just want to jump in and ask a question because you know we're we're seeing you know you said you, you're saying for a while that Mississauga City Council was kind of you know everybody gets along and the city council speaks in one voice for a while, and that's kind of been the, the framework of I think most city council. Like it's it's it was kind of like a, an unspoken or a job that you didn't really have to do much in. It was the the concept before. Um, but I, I 
I, I always suspect that these differences probably always were there. You know, like the, the, you, I can't imagine you get seven people or, or however many people are on the on the city council. They're all elected to uh, they're all ele- elected with a mandate from the people. Just to say, oh, they're all expected to get along is a little naive, and it might have been maybe a testament to Hazel McCallion's mayoral charisma to keep everyone in, in balance. I I don't know, but I. I I probably just suspect that this was not that these these differences always existed. Now to say I, I disagree with you so much, I'm going to vandalize your car after a council meeting. That's that's a whole other level. Um, and, I, and this is clearly I'm not I'm not giving any excuse. It's it's un excuse it's inexcusable the behavior. But I just want to like you know just throwing it out there that this has always been there. Is it just I've noticed you know at all levels of government we've just seen this kind of lack of civility this lack of kind of respect for the office the office holder uh in your uh, in their in their in their decorum you know and it's it's not just the city council we've seen that you know the question period in uh, Queens Park and Ottawa are always it looks like a schoolyard brawl or, oh, is it, is I, like, I always tend to yeah I mean sorry I always tend to think like you know there are there are parliaments around the world where everybody always agrees and they tend to be in dictatorships, <laughs> you know, like a, a rowdy, a rowdy parliament or a rowdy council or a rowdy legislature. <clears throat> it's not necessarily a bad sign because it shows that people are allowed to disagree with each other. Um, so I always like to keep that in mind, but I mean, there's obviously a line that can be crossed when you get into this kind of behavior. And I, I feel like just having watched a few councils the last few years that there's, you see these, I mean, we kind of seen it like there was a story last week about um, Larry Diani, who was like former mayor of Hamilton, former uh, former MP, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, still very much involved in, in Hamilton politics, kind of threatening um, Hamilton's kind of in, lone independent journalist, uh, uh, Joey Coleman, um, you know, saying, you know, I'm going to end your career. You're going to have nothing. Now, this is according to... to um, I did see that tweet, Joey. Joey, actually. Yeah. And, and like, um, these, these, these old guys get very, I think because it was kind of a, a fairly relaxed job for a long time, that, that municipal politics was very sleepy. No one really took much of a, and there wasn't a whole lot of controversy. Yeah. Now that there is, and people are paying attention, they really don't like it quite but the but the, but the duties of city council are more, uh, uh, stringent now like in, you know back yeah. in the the mike harris decade and ernie eaves they downloaded a lot of a lot of duties to municipalities uh without giving them like the taxation or really the governing powers to uh to manage that and i know that the liberals try and upload some of those responsibilities back to the provincial level but there's still there's still a lot of a lot of tasks that are left at the municipal level that are you know, it's strenuous. It gets, it's not a, it's not no longer a cushy job. Uh, to, you know, you, they think, oh, yeah, Alan, jump in. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't know if you wanted to finish your point, but I think um, your point about Hamilton is interesting because, um, unlike Mississauga, which is basically a local media desert, you know, I know there are a few uh, ones that popped up recently, but it's not as good as Hamilton, as I understand it. You guys have had the Hamilton Spectator for decades. Uh, Joey Coleman does exceptional work. And I think just the presence of that kind of a local media um, scrutiny has agitated at least Hamilton City Council or people who used to be in Hamilton City Council to the degree where a former mayor is now publicly 
in public threatening right. a, a local journalist at the, to that point. My point uh, regarding mis- the difference between that and Mississauga is because we've not had that kind of level of local media scrutiny. I mean, I do not recall once where Hazel McCallia had to face a scrum after a council meeting. She's never done that. Mm. And it's been like that for decades. It's like, you know, we like I like I grew up, I, I moved here from uh, uh, Hong Kong in 1990. So I've been a Mississauga resident for about 30 years. And growing up, we always just looked at Hazel McCallion. Oh, she's amazing. Look, she's like, you know, almost like a hundred year old lady running this city. It's, and I think that's the novelty there. Unlike some of the other surrounding 905 municipalities is that you have this woman at age 57 first became mayor. And then she was still going strong. Like she had been until recently mayor my entire life. So I knew no other mayor until recently, but Hazel McCallion. And well, technically, you know, Mississaugans never do any other mayor. Yeah. Her name is on schools. Her name is on other monuments. Uh, like people just love her because she's everywhere. Like this woman drives herself around the city at her age. Like there's a there's almost there's a, there's a legendary story. It's not I say legendary because there's no other way to describe it. Where she was one time hit by a truck and she got out of the hospital in under 24 hours, and the truck was in the shop for three days. So she recovered faster <laughs> than the truck. So she was uh, like going out to like telling people, yeah, the truck's still in repairs. And that's just builds on the mystique of Hazel McCallion, like like this figure that's akin to like Fiorero LaGuardia from New York or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Huey Long, the former governor of Louisiana, or like just, just these almost larger than life mythical political figures that look like they've, always been there they're serving for life that's why you see um you know she th- that's why people think that she is such a great mayor because council always agreed with her but my take on it now that i'm looking back at it is that she was always ruling with sort of a benevolent iron hand and managed to like because like the council around her saw how how people loved hazel tremendously that this is a woman who gets reelected with 90 plus percent of the vote mm-hmm. most of the last couple of elections she really didn't run in because all she did was put her name on the ballot, told everybody, hey, any money you want to donate to my campaign, don't, just donate it to charity, which is very admirable. But still, there's just nobody running against her. So it's like there was no debate among the citizens about what where the direction of the city is going. And it, and it's meant that there was never any debate about the, yeah, right. no until, debate whatsoever until, about the planning in, in, in you know, uh, and, you know, yeah, Mrs. Auger, around, as a result, around, kind of has some problems now. Yeah, it was around 2010 when um, I first took notice because that was around the time where Hazel McCallion was trying to secure this land deal near the city center, which is, uh, if you've been to Mississauga, if you know the area around Square One, yep. where the uh, current Sheridan College campus is, yeah, 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 yeah. that land, she wanted a hotel slash convention center because people believe that big cities need that kind of thing in their downtown. Thing is, the only real estate company that she could find to help broker this deal was owned by her son, Peter. (laughs) And if you know about Municipal Conflict of Interest 101, that's a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. So at that point, council finally got off their butts and a majority of them voted for a public inquiry into the matter. How that story was spun locally was that this was an attack on our beloved Hazel. And I was invited, I remember this, to go to a support Hazel rally because her enemies are attacking her and we need to defend our beloved Hazel. 
And there were four counselors that were supporting Hazel at the time. And then we were given these papers just uh, outlining this gang of seven or eight, I can't remember the number, of the other counselors I voted for the inquiry. It was almost like looking at mugshots of convicted felons <laughs> that they were going to do this to our poor Hazel. But, well, in, yeah. in fact, they were just, like, voting to, like, be more accountable. <laughs> well, and, like, maybe, maybe that's just a sign that it's, you know, the accountability is just uh, now part and parcel with, at the municipal level, that we, we need to just accept the fact that this isn't the cakewalk of a job it used to be or that the, the, that perception uh, is out there. Uh, I, I see that we're, we're coming up on, a, on 17 minutes of uh, for our first topic. I'm going to say let's uh, take a break. Uh, for our sponsor, and we'll be right back in a, in a few minutes. Okay, we are back, and we're traveling up the uh, 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 four three. We're up the four, We're traveling up the four three to uh, from Mississauga all the way up to Brampton now, uh, because uh, Brampton has gotten itself into a little bit of a quagmire. Uh, which I'll be honest, I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank on. I I don't I don't have all the details on the, on this one. Yeah, well, I mean, what we do know is, is in the past week um, there was um, uh, kind of a, a, a public um, a public spat with 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 uh, a, a number of councillors in in Brampton complaining about the use of of in camera meetings, which is a familiar story, uh, as a way to kind of. Uh, control both to control councillors and to keep un- un- awkward stories out out of the press about the um, the city manager or he, he's I think he's called the CAO in, in in Brampton but same same job city manager who was a controversial figure um, and uh, since the uh, since this kind of uh, councillor basically came out and said you know uh, in camera meetings are being misused uh, the mayor's misusing them he's he's using it as a way to shut councillors down. Um, what has now happened in the meantime is that the um, uh, the city, the controversial city manager, has finally, I believe, uh, resigned or been removed. And I'm just looking to get my details right on, on exactly which of those two it is. Uh, but again, Alan, I mean, uh, you, you're maybe more familiar with with um, Brampton things than than either Joel or I are. Uh, what's your take on uh, this story? My take on Brampton is that. Um, I definitely think the local politics are a little more lively than what I've been used to in Mississauga. Um, we've had to have a situation in Mississauga where an extreme event like this car keying incident had to come forward in order for local, even um, provincial and even national media to take attention, uh, pay attention. With Brampton, I always thought regarding Patrick Brown, he's always been this accidental vic- political figure that dropped into Brampton by accident. Because if you go back to 2018, he started 2018 looking like he was going to become the premier of Ontario. And then because of alleged sexual assault allegations, he ended up just tumbling from the mountaintop that he was standing on. Mm -hmm. And then dropping into Peel region, at first he was going to seek the position of Peel regional chair, which was at that time an elected position. But then Doug Ford came in and canceled that election. So at the last minute, he re-registered to run for mayor of Brampton against the then incumbent, Linda Jeffrey. And by the grace of whatever God he might pray to, he ended up winning the election by a squeaker. 
So I was, I always thought he was a bit of an accidental mayor. But then the optimist in me thinks, okay, maybe like this guy who's had a bit of national ambitions and who's had exp- exposure to several very important files around the province, a lot of which affected Brampton tremendously. You could maybe he could maybe have some sway, you know, at some point. Even though the premier that got elected in the same year, Doug Ford at that time probably hated his guts more than anything. Um, this episode regarding the Niagara people that he apparently tried to get into Brampton city government, it's very strange. And I can't really speak on as much as what I understand from the Niagara situation. You might have to get someone from Niagara to come on and help you explain what happened with this David Barrick guy, who is now the former Branton chief administrative officer slash city manager. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was actually, there was a whole um, yeah. range of, range of events that happened down in Niagara. Right. Uh, but I think in which the Barrick, Barrick story was, 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 was one part. I mean, he ended up being fired and there was a kind of an electoral uh, movement to get, um, him and the kind of group of people who were on the, the regional council off that council because they were seen as as you know acting against the interests of you know and he was running the the um, conservation authority um and so you got a lost job there got hired imme- almost immediately in brampton um and it's like well you know why uh, now and certainly we do know that these were uh you know, you know <laughs> i say political operatives um Probably everybody who's speaking today has been a political operative at some point, but probably at a much lower level than these guys who were kind of PC party insiders, as I understand it, who kind of brought in to to run uh, Brampton City Hall. So it's not the way the municipal politics usually works that that, that you're, you know, it's a, the a politicalness of it is kind of like a real thing. It's not just for show. And although um, mayors and councillors may have been, you know, party members or run for 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 provincial or federal government at other times in their career. When they get that job, they tend to take the independence pretty seriously. Partly because it really frees you up as someone who's been involved in provincial party campaigns and, and a campaign as a, as a candidate. It's so much more fun being a councillor because you can say what you want. You don't have to worry. <laughs> um, so, but you know, it seemed like kind of politicization of, of City Hall. Well, I mean, certainly, I think that's the, the accusations being made, and that, that you know they were kind of running it like a um, on a kind of part more partisan basis that then would maybe be traditional. Uh, I mean, he's gone now. Uh, this is David Barrick, the, the controversial figure. Um, he, um, I think, he was like removed uh, last week, and I mean, the, the questions which will remain now will be about um, Patrick Brown's kind of. Staking his uh, kind of con- uh, staking his reputation on, on on this on this story at the outset, and kind of his judgment in, in bringing this person in. Um, but, so but I, I mean, what strikes me yeah. as amazing about this story is the blatant nepotism that's involved here. Uh, you know, it, it comes into it, the the reason why Barrett got the job, according to the to all reports, is he was buddies with Patrick Brown. He he, you know, there, there's it, it, what get, what gets me is it's an old Tammany Hall politics it's it's that old just i know i know a guy i know somebody who can help me out uh i want i want people i can trust around me. and it, you know it, it's i i'm this might be a bit partisan and it might be i might be put on a a, a bit more of my progressive hat here but it's it's something that you know we see a lot with conservative politicians is i don't trust anyone outside of my circle 
Therefore, I need to have people I trust in powers in, in positions of power around me that I can rely on. Rules be damned. I just want to go. And we, you know, you saw we see it uh, uh, in the at the federal, provincial, and now apparently at the municipal level. That's my take on it. I could be wrong. And I think that speaks to the whole idea that Patrick Brown fundamentally is this outsider. Like he cut his municipal teeth in Barrie, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. A completely different jurisdiction from Brampton. You bring up the fact that David Barrick had very zero to little experience. It's amazing that a big city like Brampton to manage Canada's ninth largest city, you pick somebody that had no experience managing a department, let alone a city of that scale. Like he was managing a conservation authority for a regional government that was about what less than five hundred thousand people. So it's like I mean, I'm just curious. I don't know if it's just the Patrick Brown factor that factored into hiring this guy, but um, it seemed like Brampton wasn't able to hire an experienced and seasoned administrator in order well, to. It, Look, oversee some important files. There's a lot of important files. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The university, um, downtown redevelopment, you know, LRT, if they can possibly revive that, um, that uh, boondoggle. There's just a lot of these things. And Patrick, Patrick Brown, in the last four years, has touted that he's managed to keep 0% tax increases in the city budget. Well, how does that affect infrastructure funding? How does that affect other things that you need well, to spend here, money on? Here's the on? thing: that's that's not a big uh, victory. To that's not that that's not a, a that's not big something to be proud of. It, that's the thing: like it, it's not really difficult to keep property taxes at like a zero percent increase. Like keep it where they are. Usually, you just say, "Okay, let's keep the budget where it's at," and you you budget accordingly to fund things over the long term and you ask the province for money to fill in the gaps uh where it need where it need be but i yeah, i want to con- go back to what you're talking uh, uh about that it's kind of it kind of shows like the importance of keeping these positions not political because you need you want somebody in that position who knows the city knows the the uh, the ins and outs of the bureaucracy of the city knows the culture of the city knows who you know because unless you want to keep it unpolitical, it is political. So you want somebody who who would know. You need you need to talk with this community community over here if you want to win this or this business uh, over here. You need them on on your side. You can't just trust. Oh my my buddy's got my back, so he's gonna we're gonna we're gonna go take the take on the world together. That's not how this works. You need somebody who on day one can say, okay, I'm gonna set you up a meeting with person A, person B, and person C because we want to get this done. And then uh, I'm going to sh- sit down with uh, this group of people because we need to talk about this issue that's on your on your agenda. Um, I, I just I find that this stuff often goes into some kind of amateur hour theatrics that often just ends up, it makes the, the in this case, the mayor look bad. It makes the city council look frustrated and ultimately just wastes taxpayers' time and money having to deal with this. It's, and especially when like Brent, I just want to finish my point. Brampton needs a lot of things, especially with COVID. They, you know, they've been fighting for a a health, a proper hospital, proper healthcare center for years now. And they, if it, if this pandemic has shown anything, it's that they need that massive piece of infrastructure uh, in, if, for that city. That's you know that's that's they shouldn't be fighting over this. They should be fighting with the or just going to the province saying get a, give us the money to build the build us the damn hospital. 
it, it, it's i mean i was just yeah i mean I, in brampton is a big city bringing someone in who's never held any significant role in municipal government uh, to be your your city manager or ceo is 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 you know it's it's risky at best and basically to pick someone who's a party loyalist who's therefore seen as a loyalist to patrick brown over someone who's just qualified to do the darn job is i think a big mistake and i mean at least i mean patrick brown did have some municipal experience he should have known better but he very much came in as a as a as a piece as the pc former uh mp and mpp um rather than um uh rather than coming in as a you know a uh someone with a kind of municipal who knows how the municipal city system works which is so fundamentally different from any other level of government um so i think you know it illustrates a whole bunch of problems it also illustrates the problems of, of having a council with with new members who are inexperienced and i think they got bounced into i mean the, the city manager or CAO in, in Brampton's case is something that the councillors will have voted on and the mayor only gets one vote. So he couldn't be hired without the other councillors supporting that. But I, I think I, I know there were some stories um, last year about, you know, people feeling that they kind of got bounced into it literally in their first week or so of, of being in the job and uh, not feeling that they, you know, maybe should get in the way of the new mayor too much. Well, actually, I was going to ask. I mean, I mean, what about? I feel kind of somewhat sorry for Linda Jeffrey, who, <laughs> who, who, if nothing, just because she never seemed to come across my radar very much, um, uh, seemed fairly blameless as mayor, and yet got booted out fairly unceremoniously um, uh, for someone who kind of dropped in at the last minute. You know, like, well, all the all my other jobs have gone away, so I, be- I guess I better run for this one. Um, it seemed kind of unfair. I mean, I mean. Uh, do, do, you, do you know, Alan, anything about whether, you know, is Linda Jeffrey thinking of coming back? Is uh, uh, she still kind of involved in uh, Brampton politics at all? My understanding is that, well, I mean, this is just what I heard. This is not like actual confirmed like uh, um, information. I heard she's no longer living in Brampton. So I don't think she has that much investment in the city anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Regarding Linda Jeffrey, Linda Jeffrey, I think, is also um, – got politically lucky because she was elected in 2014 after a stint as a McGuinty-era cabinet minister. Um, She came in uh, on the heels of the former mayor, Susan Fennell, who was running for re-election, but because of, I believe, Sam Graywall, you've had him on your pod. Um, He reported at the time of Susan Fennell's uh, excessive excessive spending um, scandals in the city of Brampton. And by that luck, Linda Jeffrey managed to come in and become the fresh face that uh, people really wanted because eventually Susan Fennell ended up in third place in that uh, re-election attempt. So Linda Jeffrey also kind of came in on a wave of uh, political luck. But the problem is Linda Jeffrey was facing a council with years of experience. She didn't come in with like, unlike Patrick Brown, with a wave of new counselors um, uh, coming in alongside him. So Linda Jeffrey had to face down experienced council members. And that kind of explains issues like why like the uh, LRT uh, which was originally slated to go to downtown Brampton but instead got cut off at Steeles Avenue because the council at the time decided oh we don't really want 100% provincial funding for this because we're going <laughs> to ruin pressures downtown where all the big moneyed houses are lining along the streets Bill Davis's house is there oh poor Bill you know um you know um you know um no offense to the late great Bill Davis but um 
Linda, that was Linda Jeffries' problem. She was facing an inexperienced council, or I mean, experienced council that kind of was able to push back against her, even though she is the mayor, even though she's just one vote. Patrick Brown came in with a bunch of rookie councilors that really didn't probably didn't know the rules, and I think that's what the main root of the problem is that led up to uh, what Brampton City Council recently did, because these guys didn't know the rules. Um, so Patrick Brown thought maybe I could just sneak in and make up his own procedures. That's why I managed to hire my friend David Barrick. David Barrick, in turn, uh, circumvented the usual council rules and procedures in order to hire people who are not qualified, even though positions that require an engineering degree um, were given to people without an engineering degree at all or other procedures that were just circumvented or um, access to information was now circulated to the CAO's office, which has never been done before. These are things that have never been done before. So that's led up to this point where council finally pushed back after just not only Barrick um, being an obstacle, but Brown himself, um, even in in-camera meetings that w- was reported that even during in-camera meetings, he was not allowing motions to come forward by the councillors who were asking for motions to be voted on. So that's why you've gotten like this joint letter released by a majority of council saying this is being run like a dictatorship. You know, this mm-hmm. is why like Patrick Brown is somehow becoming an authoritarian figure. I mean, that <laughs> sounds like really extreme language, but that's the way it's been happening. And it really depends on, I think, at the end of the day, different personalities as well, because Patrick Brown is a different type of personality. Hazel McCallion had her own way to deal with it. I mean, council basically obeyed her because she was so beloved. And I think in Brampton's current case, Patrick Brown is just trying to circum or you know, maybe maybe take advantage of the rules and procedures in order to try to get council to go along with what he wants to do. And only difference is council has now finally wised up and decided to push back. Yeah, as I say, it's kind of blown up in his face if that 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 was the deal. Because, well, assuming he he carries on as mayor after the municipal election, um, he seems to have made quite a lot of enemies, and it's difficult to to get that back once you've done it. But oh well, that, let's um, we've got a couple of minutes left, um, and there's there's a a, a story. Uh, Closer to Joel's and my kind of uh, area of, of, of greatest familiarity, um, uh, provincial, uh, well, the premier made a trip to Hamilton today. Uh, uh, Joel, mm-hmm. uh, what's what, what was all that about? What brought him to um, to somewhere that um, he doesn't have a lot of seats usually? <laughs> uh, someplace I'm sure he held his breath as he uh, drove through. Uh, yeah, so the the premier was in Hamilton to announce a 500 million dollar boost for uh, Arcelor uh, Mittal de Fasco. Uh, basically to produce green steel, uh, which sounds kind of gross, but uh, it's actually kind of <laughs> it, it's actually a good thing. Um, basically, it's five hundred million dollars uh, from the province to uh, give give the former Defasco site uh, a chance to reinvest and upgrade its technology so that it makes steel or makes products uh, using less uh, uh, CO two. Because uh, it turns out Hamilton is one of the worst uh, per capita emitters uh, in the GTHA. Uh, it is a, it, and a lot of that comes from uh, the the steel plants in in Hamilton. No surprise there. Uh, so this is going to go a long way to help green, greenifying uh, a major industry 
in Hamilton, which is great. What I thought was interesting is the the premier kept talking about this in terms of um, going into the auto auto sector into you know electric vehicles, which I'm sure it will. But I I thought that it's if you're making greener uh, steel, I mean it has other op- options than just uh, automobile manufacturing, but that's good too. But it just seemed that the the there was a lot. There's a lot of notes happening uh, in this uh, this announcement. One, why why announce it now? You know, like the the entire province is is on edge with what's happening in Ottawa and what happened recently uh, at the Windsor Crossing. Like the pro- the province is very much uh, on on shaky grounds. Um, they just announced that they're going to uh, remove vaccine mandates uh, come March one, which has a lot of people on edge already why why announce this now it almost seems like you know he's trying to do the age-old politician gambit of i'm going to throw as much into the news as possible to just uh just confuse confuse the 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 heck out of people to keep everybody off guard so nobody can focus on any one story and give me any one little one sector of criticism um i mean i guess usually at this this time in the in the sort of electoral cycle this is this is the perfect couple of months before the election story. Mm-hmm. Um, the the and, you know, and to an extent, um, I'm not going to criticize any government for trying to time things right. It, you know, it always strikes me as a little. I mean, goodness knows, the politicians are the best people uh, are making these claims. You know, the conservatives used to say about the liberals all the time. I'm sure the liberals are saying about the conservatives. Um, you know, you're just buying votes. It's like, well, if you're buying votes by doing things that people like and that are popular, isn't that what politicians are supposed to do (laughs) do things that people want them to do that's kind of how democracy works so i don't necessarily um see why a government can't do things that people like and i kind of get why they do them at times when it helps them however you're you're right that it's it's I mean, it's extent that he he he's he's risking the the whole thing getting buried under twenty other news stories about trucks that's parked a, on. In, that's in, the thing. In, I, in, I thought I thought this was completely stupid on his part, and it's not. I mean, it's a good story. This is a winner. This is a story that I'm like, I look at, it, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to see from my my Ontario government. However, I also want to see that blockade of truckers in Ottawa taken care of, and that sorted out uh, as well. Like it, it it's just. It, it didn't reek of a commitment of updating Ontario industry. To me, it reeked of I need somebody to not. I, I want somebody to talk positive about me in the media, as opposed to the criticism that I've been getting for uh, going on a going on a snowmobile snowmobile trail snowmobile trail uh, when the people of Ottawa are in crisis. Um, it, it just it reeked of a double standard in in my book. What I, I also find interesting is the this the green energy the the ev car push right he wants to make ontario into this ev car manufacturing mecca of north america which is great i i'm all for that yet he also canceled the green energy act um and then and then canceled all the ener- the green energy rebates for people who wanted to buy electric vehicles in this province and basically has kiboshed you know electrifying like the, the 401 uh all the all the on routes there you know, all this time we could have been putting in all sorts of infrastructure to help support EV cars. All of a sudden, now we got to play catch up because he kind of realized, oh, hey, that's where GM 
uh, Chrysler and uh, uh, Ford are all headed. I mean, that's right now, if you look on any of their upcoming 2022, 23 lines, it's all EV vehicles. And it's just like Ford all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, that's that was the future. You know, the previous premier had an had a kind of an idea. It was a good idea. Maybe I should get on on. Well, it would be nice if he was grace had enough grace to sort no, of he recognize that. I mean, it, it, which of course he doesn't. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just like you know what he's putting back in place now in, in 2022. Is is a fraction of what he took away in two thousand in the second half of two thousand eighteen. What uh, what, I mean, what, it, I, what, it, what goes it, me about this this whole story is the fact that I mean we we had on the podcast uh, Flavio Volpe of the uh, APMA who their project Arrow, which is going they're hoping is going to reinvigorate the Canadian auto manufacturing industry, which I hope it does because it'll have a ton of benefits for the nine hundred five region. Um, but I mean that that's being led by the industry. The 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 premier wants to come in kind of as this visionary, and I say, you know, hey, this this is a good story. I'm not going to lie, but what's the what is the strategy? Is it just give a bunch of money because somebody says, yeah, we need to make our our product greener? Like is that is that the that's the strategy? And, and with steel, really- I mean, you know, the steel industry is still, although it's a, a you know. A, a, a shadow of its former self in Hamilton. It's still an important employer and, and it's still one of the big steel uh, manufacturers in North America, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, steel, uh, did, did they make, I mean, and I haven't checked out the story myself. I'm depending on what, on what you know. But when they say the steel is going to be greener, I mean, what do they mean? I mean, like steel well, is it, made with Coke and, and uh, not, not Coca Cola or not, it's not cocaine, it's not, but no, 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 it's coal. It's not going to be made with coal. It's um, essentially these gigantic furnaces that are made with, I'm going to say it like electricity. Um, now, yeah, I mean, it, they, they use it with uh, electricity that heats up a, a, a furnace to a necessary degree, and they're able to uh, mold the steel into what it needs to be. Um, before that, like before that, the the plants were spewing out plumes of smoke. That was all coal smoke. That's the that was the CO two that was being spewed in the atmosphere. In theory, um, that goes away. Like it, this, this decision will drastically reshape the the Hamilton landscape. Literally, like I mean, literally, like you when you go over the Skyway, you're not going to see plumes of smoke coming out of out of uh, DeFasco anymore. You might see nothing. Uh, I, I I don't I don't know the technicalities of how it'll work, but that's the that's the premise is that you're going to switch from these coal fire furnaces into like these gigantic electric power that will draw from the clean energy of the Ontario grid. All those wind turbines that. Um, Doug Ford people supporters were all, <laughs> all saying, "How how you know tear them down? How dare you build these windmills in our backyard?" Well, that's going to fuel Hamilton's transformation. Apparently, um, I mean, ironic. And, and yeah, people could, people could probably, perhaps, rightly accuse me of a little bit of bias here, just for from my time as you know as a volunteer. You know, one of the things that the previous Ontario government always claimed, and I'm not saying it's true, you can go check the facts for yourself or not, was was that they had transformed the the, the grid um, pretty significantly. You know, we're, we're getting rid of coal-fired um, uh, power stations, getting rid of... Um, so basically what we have with, with, this, with, with steelworks are coal-powered steel factories. Um, they're generating their own power because they're actually creating the furnaces in, in that kind of old-school way. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it's like Ontario does compared with you know most of its neighboring jurisdictions, with the exception of Quebec, have an extremely uh, a far more modern, a far cleaner uh, power grid. So I mean, these are all good things. But again, the bill, you know, the the the, the fact that they would have us believe that um, before two thousand eighteen, everything was 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 you know was a disaster and there was there were no sort of good news stories it's going to be somewhat irksome sometimes but i mean i do admit my my bias is there everybody listening <laughs> oh i i i just look at this i mean it's a good story i'm not gonna lie i think uh good on the premier for doing it um yeah i mean i question of does he you know is it now the the the, the province is still on edge Big time, the the product like now to come in with this. Oh yeah, Rayon, we're going to have this great story. It's like why why now? Is it because like you you don't you you just you just given up on these other crises that we're having? Which I kind of I'm getting the sense that's what it is. It's the the Ottawa situation is now D- Justin Trudeau's problem because Justin Trudeau enacted the emergency uh, the Emergencies Act. Um, and he's saying no, we're we're giving up on COVID too because the vaccine mandates are ending on on March first, and that presumably the mask mandates will follow at some point later. I, I think he's well, just. I'm understanding his uh, his announcement was was very much that that you know we're giving up on this now, we're done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that today. It's it, no. it's so much more of a national story than a nine hundred five one, but. No, but it's, it's. I think it's, for those of us who, who've done our time and, and did everything that was asked of us, it's a kick in the teeth to basically be told, "Oh, I'm gonna, we're going to give pretty much everything that these morons have been asking for." Yep. You know, um, but we we don't have time for that today. I don't no, think. So why, why do we why do we leave this episode on that note? Uh, I'm gonna call call it quits for the day. Uh, gonna have a uh, gonna have a drink. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Alan, for joining us uh, and uh, and giving us some really good information about um, uh, to add to our uh, pi- the picture in uh, Peel. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week, everybody, with another episode of the 905er. <laughs>
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>